Well, please grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We are back in 1 Corinthians. We had taken a four-week break after chapter 7. We made it through chapter 7 without any gunshots or anything like that, which is good. So we thought uh, we'd take a breather and then jump back in. And we're getting into chapter 8 today. We finished the lengthy section of chapter 7 about marital relationships, and now the Apostle Paul is addressing another one of their questions that was asked of him about meat offered to idols. And uh, we're going to focus a lot more on the topic of meat offered to idols next week, but today we're going to focus where Paul starts in the first three verses. You see in uh, verse 1 of chapter 8, it starts with, now concerning, and that phrase comes up a lot in 1 Corinthians because he's addressing their questions, now concerning this question, now concerning that question, and he starts off by saying, now concerning things sacrificed to idols. That's the subject that's at hand, but Paul starts in an interesting place. He doesn't jump in and say, this is how you should consider things offered to idols. Here it is, black and white, yes, no, we're done. He says, now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Those are the three verses we'll cover today, Lord willing, and next week we'll finish out the chapter. So let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've given to us. It is a gift, and we have breath in our lungs because of your sovereign care and grace and mercy. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for each and every good gift that comes down from you, the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are our rock and our anchor, and we rest in you. Lord, we ask that today as we get back into this wonderful letter that was inspired by you, that you have preserved by your great power, that we would today have great insight into your word so that we may know you better and know who you've created us to be. And I ask, Lord, that I wouldn't get in the way of your text this morning, but that your word would be so clear to your people, and that we would all be more like Christ because of the time that we spend in the Bible today. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start this message by speaking to our culture's view of knowledge. We live on one side of the Enlightenment period that took place hundreds of years ago. Uh, perhaps you remember learning about these fathers of science in school, Galileo, uh, Newton, Sir Francis Bacon, these names that you kind of know in your mind they did something important, but we can't remember what they did. They did many important things. They, because of their contributions, we know so much about the universe, the physical universe, and how it works gravity, physics, all of these huge concepts that we really struggle to grasp and we should struggle to grasp, they helped us understand more and more sound and time and sound's relationship to time. We learned so much because these men had such great intelligence, they had such great knowledge. And we, of course, know how that has affected our culture. 
that science is really at the heart of so many things in the world around us. And these men, by the way, were by and large people who recognized there was a creator. In their knowledge, in their discovery of the world, it was understood that they were studying the works of God. That was their approach to science. Very different from the approach to science today. But nevertheless, our culture has really appreciated all that we've received from the Enlightenment period. Undoubtedly, each one of us has appreciated that. When we think of higher education and universities within the last 100, perhaps 150 years in our nation, higher education has been prized because we put a primo value on knowledge. In fact, for many of the young people today, and I believe this is a wrong view, but for many young people today, university is just assumed. You will go to university. It's a part of just being a human being these days. You will get a four-year degree from some state school. I don't think every child should be going to a state school and getting a four-year degree. We're wired differently, and we all should be doing different things. But you can see how our culture has approached colleges and universities over the last 100 to 150 years and how we appreciate higher learning. We appreciate education. We appreciate and respect knowledge. And just generally speaking, each one of us has an awe and appreciation for knowledge. Think of experts that exist in different fields. You might be watching the news, and on the news they'll bring on a forensics expert, or they'll bring on someone who's an expert in this field, and you automatically bow to their authority thinking, wow, they know a lot. Went to school, learned some things. And many people like that exist, well-studied people who we should respect because of their knowledge. And Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, promotes knowledge and wisdom over and over again. I'm just going to show you a few verses. You don't have to turn there. But starting with Proverbs 16, 16, listen to how this is framed. How much better it is to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding is to be chosen above silver. That's a high value placed on knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. In Proverbs 19, verse 8, He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will find good. And one more, chapter 23, verse 23, Buy truth and don't sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. Receive more and more truth. Don't give it away. Keep it. Hold on to it. And wisdom and instruction and understanding. We are to, in a godly sense, pursue these things and hold on to these things. But like a masterfully crafted knife, maybe some of you guys like knives, like a nice K-bar knife or something like that that's perhaps hundreds of dollars and crafted really well, it's beautiful. Or a a thoroughbred horse, something that's just so powerful and strong and, and beautiful in every way. All of these things are good and to be held on to and to be used, but also to be feared and respected, aren't they? There's supposed to be a healthy fear and healthy respect of these things. Just as we have great awe for them, we need to recognize they can pose to us a great danger. Knowledge is one of those things. We are to have great awe and great respect for knowledge, but we also recognize there's a great danger in knowledge. So let's talk about developing a healthy fear of knowledge today. That's what Paul is talking about in these first three verses of chapter 8. And there are three things I want to tell you about knowledge. 
first is that knowledge is necessary. We have to admit this. Knowledge is absolutely necessary. Can you get saved without knowledge? Well, absolutely not. You need to have knowledge from someone proclaiming the gospel for you to be saved. There must be a knowledge element in the gospel proclamation. To live for God, you must have knowledge. You can't live for God without knowledge. In fact, it's not just for Christians. It's not just for the saved. You can't function as a human being in this world without some degree of knowledge. And I'm going to reserve all of my political jokes that I could make uh, from that statement. But we need knowledge to get around in this world, don't we? We absolutely need knowledge. So that's the first thing to recognize. It's necessary. But secondly, as the Scriptures teach us today, knowledge also can inflate an ego in profoundly damaging ways. Knowledge can inflate an ego to the point of true damage. Look again with me at verse 1. It says, knowledge makes arrogant there toward the end of the verse. As Rex read from the NIV earlier, it says, knowledge puffs up. And that's what this word literally means, to puff up, to inflate. You can think of perhaps someone making a balloon animal, and there they are with their little pump and just pumping, 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 filling up that balloon. Or perhaps better, a hot air balloon, pumping something full of hot air. That's what knowledge does, makes arrogant. It reminds me of a joke that my sons recently learned. I don't know who told them this joke, but you can participate. All you have to do is say, why? So here we go. You must like hot air balloons because you're both full of hot air. Pretty good, huh? Yeah, uh, that's a pretty good joke. But that's what this word means, is to be puffed up, to be inflated, to be filled up with air. That's what knowledge does. It inflates the ego. And Paul's concern here is how this can begin to erode sacrificial love. Knowledge can begin to erode sacrificial brotherly love. That's his concern. The Corinthians had knowledge. Notice he says that. Uh, concerning things sacrificed to idols, verse 1, we know that all have knowledge. Perhaps that was a Corinthian saying, one of their many sayings. We all have knowledge. We all have knowledge. Or perhaps it's Paul just affirming them. Yes, there are strong Christians out there who have been growing and learning, and they do, of course, have knowledge. Their knowledge was commendable to a degree, but their motives were reprehensible. Though they had knowledge, and that was something to be affirmed in them and honored, their motives were to be rebuked. So how were they approaching knowledge? Well, many of them were considering the source of their knowledge in one of two ways, both of them being damaging. So I want you to think of yourself and think of today in the church how this could be an issue. One of two ways to consider where your knowledge comes from. Some of the Corinthians surely thought their source of knowledge was their selves, as in they were self-made in their knowledge, that they went out and they sought, and in their own efforts, they became these very intelligent people. They were, in a sense, making themselves more knowledgeable, smarter, more intelligent. And you can see how that leads right into arrogance, right? Self-made knowledge, self-made intelligence. 
But perhaps even more damaging, a second place where some of the Corinthians perhaps thought they received their knowledge was from God in a secret way. This is the beginning of what was called Gnosticism later on in the first century, especially into the second century. That there were people out there in the world, and they really saw it as three classes of people. You had those who were the higher tier, who could receive secret knowledge from God. And they were in such a, in such a class that they were over and against everybody else. They looked down their nose at everybody else because God had particularly informed them. And there were other people who were yet to get to that knowledge, but were on their way. They were going to get to that secret knowledge from God also. And then there were others who were just totally blind and shut off and were never going to obtain that secret knowledge. You can also see how that makes someone arrogant, right? God has picked me for this secret knowledge and information, the root of Gnosticism. Gnosticism puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. Not only did some of them consider the wrong source for their knowledge, instead of recognizing God as the source who gives to all who ask of Him, but rather their motive was wrong. Not only did they consider the source wrongly, but what they did with the knowledge, or what they wanted to do with the knowledge, was also wrong. Many of them had a view of self-advancement or self-betterment, The purpose of knowledge for many of the Corinthians was so that their individual lives would be better, so that they could serve themselves, so that they could advance themselves. As John MacArthur has said, they were strong in self-love, but weak in brotherly love. Knowledge by itself brings arrogance, not maturity. People can become so intoxicated with knowledge, can't they? so drunk on wisdom, so smart that they're crazy. Have you ever met anybody like that? <laughs> so knowledgeable, so smart. Why is so many people looking at me? No, uh, so, so knowledgeable that they're just, they've gone full circle and they've come back around to be absolutely loony. And some people, of course, worship knowledge. And when you have that sort of a view of knowledge, that it is for you, it is for the betterment of you, it is to advance yourself, and you actually get to a point of worshiping knowledge, you can start to believe some really, really crazy things, like believing that the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it was a good thing that Adam took of that fruit. That's worshiping knowledge and the advancement of self. So Paul gives a startling, straightforward statement here in verse 1, knowledge makes arrogant. What a a phrase, what a word for us today. Knowledge makes arrogant. And we learn from this that though knowledge is necessary, it's not sufficient, is it? Knowledge is necessary, but in and of itself, it is not sufficient. Because by itself, left alone, knowledge will make arrogant. Third thing I want to say as we develop a healthy fear of knowledge, it's knowledge is necessary, knowledge can inflate an ego, but thirdly, knowledge can be kept in check with humble love. It can be kept in check with humble love. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me again. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. What What does this mean? Well, Paul is offering them perspective, perspective, because if you think you have arrived 
in the realm of knowledge, if you think you've arrived at a state of great knowledge, that is proof positive that you're actually ignorant. If you think you've arrived, there's exhibit A, that you have not arrived. Let's consider earlier in the book, turn back with me to chapter 1, Paul affirmed them in their knowledge at one level. Let's look at this, verse, starting with verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1, 4, Paul wrote to them in the opening of the letter, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, that in everything you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. He affirmed their knowledge And what was that knowledge? It was the knowledge of Christ, that they had come to faith in Jesus Christ, they had been saved, and in all speech and in all knowledge, they had been enriched in Christ through the gospel. And in that way, of course, we all have knowledge and should be affirmed in that and should be growing and building on that foundation. But now look at chapter 3, verse 18, and look what he says here about how they should treat knowledge. Chapter 3, verse 18, Paul writes, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. Consider our our relationship with knowledge. Do you consider that relationship rightly? Yes, you have come to know God through the gospel. You have been enriched in Christ, in knowledge, but you haven't arrived. We each have a long way to go, don't we? We need to consider these things rightly. There's a quote. We don't know who said this quote, so the author is unknown. But it says, Knowledge is the process of passing from the unconscious state of ignorance to the conscious state of ignorance. I'd say that's pretty accurate, isn't it? That's what Paul is saying here in verse 2. Look at again, chapter 8, verse 2. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. Wisdom and knowledge shows us that we actually don't have wisdom and don't have knowledge, and there's so much more to learn. So Paul takes this all in an interesting direction, where his main concern isn't about information dumping and giving people more information, giving people education, giving them degrees. That's not his goal. Paul's goal and his concern is love. The contrast began in verse 1 of this chapter. Love or rather, knowledge puffs up, but what does love do? Love builds up. And if we were to elaborate on that a little more, knowledge puffs up yourself, but love builds up another. And that is Paul's concern. That's Paul's primary concern. Gordon Fee, he wrote, The aim of Christian ethics is not stoic self-sufficiency, which requires proper knowledge. Rather, its aim is the benefit and advantage of a sister or brother. What Fee is writing here is that our goal as we look to live our Christian life is not to be self-sufficient and self-made in our knowledge or anything else. Our aim, our goal, is the benefit of our brothers and sisters. That makes Christianity radically different from any other movement you could be a part of. The goal isn't to make you better. The goal is to build one another up. You don't have to worry about 
puffing yourself up if other people are building you up, right? And you know what that's like, I hope, to be built up in Christ. But you also know what it's like to be puffed up in knowledge, to have your head so full of facts and information and then go spouting off in a conversation something you should not have said, and you said it out of pride, you said it out of arrogance, because you were puffed up, thinking you were self-made. Let love build you up. You don't need to puff yourself up. Don't be one of those hot air balloons. Be built up in love. And Paul goes on, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, to put their minds on the Creator, not creatures, but on the Creator. Look at verse 3. He says, if anyone loves God, he is known by Him. And that sort of closes out the thought. And you might think, well, there's more that needs to be said here, Paul. What, what do you mean? If anyone loves God, he is known by Him. And that sort of finishes a sub-point that Paul's making. Well, God's knowledge, not ours, is the ultimate, isn't it? Let's start there. The Creator's knowledge is ultimate, not any creature's knowledge or wisdom. And this is evidenced, God's knowledge is evidenced by His love toward us. In the Scriptures, when we see God's knowledge being, being talked about, it's in reference to His loving relationships, those with whom He has entered into covenant. God's knowledge is revealed through love. And in turn, loving God, each one of us loving God, is evidence of having been saved. Because if God knows us in such a way that He has loved us and saved us, then in return, our love for Him shows that we know Him. Our love for each other shows that we know Him. These concepts go hand in hand, both love and knowledge. Loving God is evidence of knowing God. The love we have for Him is seen in our desire to build up others. Last commentator I'll share with you, Thomas Schreiner. He wrote, Knowledge is subordinated to love in Paul's theology. Those who claim knowledge demonstrate, at least in part, the genuineness of their knowledge by their love and humility. Walker, can we get that up on the screen? Thomas Schreiner, the first one. I'll start over. Knowledge is subordinated to love in Paul's theology. Those who claim knowledge demonstrate, at least in part, the genuineness of their knowledge by their love and humility. Those who are proud of their knowledge have forgotten that they have been known by God. It is not what they know, but what God knows, which is of paramount importance. What a statement. It is not what they know. It's not what you know. It's what God knows. In 1 John, the passage I read earlier during the music, it says in 1 John 4 that everyone who loves is born of God and knows God because God is love. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God because God is love. If our knowledge is found in the love of God, it is true knowledge. But apart from that, we're just puffing ourselves up. So we find that love really does keep things in perspective. Knowledge can be kept in check through humble love. Where knowledge may bite, love offers a kiss. Where knowledge wants to fight, love embraces. And I want us to meditate on this for the rest of the message today. How love 
is better than knowledge. Love is better than knowledge. We can get so imbalanced as we learn. And in this Christian life, you've learned so much, haven't you? You've learned so much about the gospel and the books of the Bible and how the world around you works through what has been revealed to us in Scripture. But we can get so imbalanced as we learn so that we start fighting instead of loving. And this has been seen over and over and over again in Christian history. We start fighting instead of loving. And I want you to consider this as we consider having a balanced perspective. We live in a day and age when we can order things on the internet and track it meticulously from the time it's at whatever manufacturing plant it's at until it arrives at our doorstep. This is weird. It's a weird thing. We shouldn't be able to do this, okay? But here we are. And this week, we had a few packages arriving at our house, and there was one that I was particularly interested in, and it actually was ordered the week before. I'd been waiting for some time, and here I am waiting, it, waiting for it to leave, and then seeing, oh, it's leaving New York. That's a long way away. Okay, all right. Well, let's settle in, because you get updates every time it switches what place it's at, you know, and I'm following it and following it, and Initially, it said it was going to come on Tuesday, and then it was going to come on Saturday, and it looked like maybe it was going to come on Friday, and just consumed with this idea. I wanted this thing. It was very precious to me, but it was just a thing. And I had the thought this week as I was working on this sermon, what if I were to get a call maybe the day the package was out for delivery, that one of my children was going to the hospital? Next thing you know, I would be sitting in a hospital somewhere, and that package would be on my doorstep, and I wouldn't care about it anymore. We can get so imbalanced in our perspective and so caught up in things that really don't matter, things that we can't even grasp all the way, but we're going to fight because we have to win. We're so puffed up, we're so arrogant that we have to be the victors, and there's a pile of dead bodies behind us that we've run over being puffed up. Love keeps knowledge in check. You might really be enjoying your experience going up in the hills in a nice new vehicle, whatever that is in your mind, sports car, truck, minivan for you mothers, I don't know, whatever it may be. You might really be enjoying a ride through nature, windows down in your new car. But then as you start to go downhill, if you don't have any brakes, that thing which used to be so beautiful and precious to you becomes a real danger, a real threat to you and everyone around you. That's knowledge. That's knowledge. It must be kept in check with humble love. Consider what has now happened in the realm of science. Now that science has gone and forgotten God, forgotten all morality now, the scientific method by definition excludes any idea of a creator. And so here we are in the realm of science, just considering people as what? Just bags of atoms, just materials. Man is a machine. There's no image of God. There's nothing immaterial, no soul, no spirit. You're just chemicals clashing around. That's all that we are. And you know what their doctrine is? Their doctrine isn't the good news of Jesus Christ. Their doctrine is survival of the fittest. And we're seeing that play out all around us because we have no purpose. We are just bags of atoms. 
Knowledge without love truly does a man, doesn't it? Both spiritually and physically. And this can happen in churches, not just in the world. The world is a great example of seeing that happen, but also in churches. And I have to say, there have been several people that I've heard, I, you know, I hear this on average maybe once a month, someone who has been exposed to this ministry here, whether that person's a regular attender or visitor or whatever, who says something about how they learned so much here. I've learned so much from this ministry. And it's always a blessing to hear it, and I never want to stop hearing it. In fact, several years ago, there was a vision cast for this church to be a trustworthy Bible-teaching church in this valley, that when people thought of this church, they would think trustworthy Bible-teaching. It's a great goal that we never want to lose. But you know what I want to hear more and more of? Not so much. I've learned so much there. But what if we kept hearing I was loved so well there. I was served so well there. I was loved on so sweetly by those people. We must have a healthy fear of knowledge. And we must consider how this works itself out in fellowship. As I mentioned at the start, this chapter, chapter 8, goes on to a full discussion about things sacrificed to idols, particularly meat, that was sacrificed to idols. And there's a dynamic that's set up between strong Christians and weak Christians. What's the difference between a strong brother and a weak brother? Strong sister, weak sister. Well, it appears, and we'll get into this more, but it appears that the strong Christians have strength because of their knowledge. As they've gained more and more true information, they have more freedom of conscience in the Christian life as they understand more about God and His Word, as they understand more about the world around them. It does lead to more freedom of conscience and things. And the weak Christians have sensitive consciences because they lack some sort of knowledge. We're going to get into that next week where Paul says not all understand this. And there are those who are still growing and still learning and their consciences are hindered and kept in check because of that. But what is absolutely mind-blowing to me, because I am the way that I am, and I am not inspired by the Spirit as Paul was, what's mind-blowing to me is that Paul doesn't seek to remedy the situation between strong Christians and weak Christians by getting the weak Christians more knowledge. If you think, okay, that's what separates them, that's why they have two different views on this doubtful thing, because one has more knowledge than the other, well, let's just catch that other group up to speed, you know, let's give them more knowledge and then we can all be on the same page. That's not Paul's tactic at all. That's not Paul's concern at all. Paul's concern is still love. Wouldn't it be easier just to say to those people, well, this is how it is, you just need to grow up? <laughs> Again, how I'm wired, right? But Paul says that our motivation is not knowledge. Our motivation is not information. Our motivation must be love. If anyone loves God, he is known by Him. You see, the Christian life is not about individual pursuit of knowledge leading to personal freedom. But the Christian life is about the pursuit of love leading to edification for all people. It's not about the individual pursuit of knowledge leading to your personal freedom. If you prioritize that, you've missed the point. 
The Christian life is the pursuit of love, gospel love, leading to edification for all people. This balance is encouraged all throughout the New Testament Scriptures. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. Turn forward past 2 Corinthians, Galatians, then Ephesians. Chapter 3, starting at verse 14. Paul writing to this church in Asia Minor. Pay attention to his prayer for them. This is what he's saying. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Love surpasses knowledge. What an amazing thought. Our first move must be love. So many of us, because we're Westerners, because we're Americans, because we're so learned, our first move is information and teaching. Our first move must be love. It must be love. You're saying a bunch of yeah, but in your head, but hang on to those. <laughs> Philippians. Go forward a couple of books to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 8. Chapter 1 of Philippians, starting at verse 8. Again, Paul pouring out his heart for this church. In Philippians 1.8, it says, For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. We see here that knowledge is a vehicle for love. Verse 9 again, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge. Knowledge is a vehicle for love. Love is the motivation. Love is the goal. And knowledge is subservient to loving one another. One more passage, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Toward the back of your Bible, before the book of Hebrews, Paul writing to this young pastor who was in Ephesus. 1 Timothy 6, starting at verse 20. His closing thoughts to Timothy. He's leaving him with this. 1 Timothy 6.20 O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. There's some knowledge we must avoid, the empty worldly chatter that is falsely called knowledge. Any knowledge so-called that leads away from Christ's love, that's not knowledge. 
How is Christian knowledge seen? In our love. In our love for God. In our love for one another. That's true knowledge. Anything else is absolutely counterfeit. There's some knowledge that's just not worth it, and we must turn away from it. True Christian knowledge is revealed in humble love, and this is the knowledge of Christ. If you say you know Christ, if you say you've grown in Christian knowledge, it will be seen in how you love. It starts in your mind, and it works itself out in your hands. Love is more important than knowledge. Can you handle that statement? Love is more important than knowledge. And knowledge must serve the cause of love. Always. Absolutely. If you have knowledge without love, you're nothing. Knowledge must serve the cause of love. And I know that many of us, and I'm saying this because I'm doing it even as I preach, we're rushing to defend knowledge. (laughs) We want to defend knowledge, and I get it. But we need to feel the weight of this perspective, don't we? That love surpasses knowledge. Love is more important than knowledge itself. Knowledge is necessary. Understanding and believing the gospel, even defining love itself. How do you define love without knowledge? I get it. But if you have love, you're nothing. That's what chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians says. You might have all the knowledge in the world. You might be able to give 17 definitions for love. But do you have it? That's what's most important. Love is the end goal. Love is the motivation. And without it, we are absolutely nothing. And our knowledge is shameful. Knowledge without love is counterfeit, shameful. But if we see knowledge as a vehicle for love, and if we're loving one another through that which we know, our understanding, our wisdom, we will be edified. You won't be puffing yourself up. You'll actually be building others up. And that's what the church needs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this word, how you address us where we are in our lives, how you issue kind rebukes and loving admonition. Give us a sweet vision for loving knowledge, for Christian love, and for biblical wisdom, that we would have an appropriate balance in these things and offer the embrace of love instead of the battles of knowledge. Give us love for one another over and against every other goal in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.